Yesterday, in Diamond City, I conducted a short funeral. What do you think is going to happen to you after you die? Now, for some of us, this is not a concern and not an issue, but for many people, this is an issue they don't like to think about. They certainly don't like to talk about. And they think it's kind of morbid, it's kind of scary. I just don't want to go there. But here's the thing, practically speaking, what you believe about eternity and what will happen after you die impacts how you live right now. So we're starting a series of messages right now about that called, Then What? Next week, we're going to be talking about hell. We're going to discuss, is this a real place? Is this a place of of conscious torment? Or is it just a place where we're going to hang out with our friends. The week after that, we're going to talk about heaven. And this little series will just lead us naturally into our next series launching in the fall. But for today, we want to talk about it comes to us all. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 has this little verse that sort of is the setting for this idea. And it says this, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. God tells us, listen, and we all know this, our physical bodies will cease to exist, but you will never cease to exist. We will live eternally somewhere. And God says that eternal life will be in one of two places. I'm going to give you a chance a little bit later in this talk to secure your place with God for eternity. But first of all, let me read to you about one of those two possibilities. And so if you have your Bible or your device with you, I'm encouraging you to open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. And I'd like to read those verses from the Apostle Paul to you right now. And he's writing to the biblical believers, to the followers of Jesus in the community of Corinth. And as he writes, he writes this. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, so he's talking about our physical body. If it's destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that which is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident. Some of the versions say fully confident confident, always confident, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident. There's that word again. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
And so he's writing to us and speaking to us as biblical believers. And then he's going to say, here's what that purpose is that I referred to earlier in verse 9. So that we may make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Why do we exist, Paul says? We exist to please Christ, to live for him, to keep in mind the things of eternity as we live here on earth. And so what we believe about eternity determines how we live today. Then he concludes in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's writing again to the believers at Corinth. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Are you afraid to die? Every one of us has, you know, those little scares in life. But there's been at least two times in my life where I sincerely believed I had come to the place where I would die. The first one when I was 12 years old. And I was the passenger in a car in one of the mountain passes south of here in Bozeman, Montana. And it was the middle of winter, the roads were extremely icy, and we had to stop at the bottom of the pass, and we couldn't really get going. The tires were spinning. When over the top of the mountain pass came a car at highway speed, and he was coming directly towards us, and if he hit us full on as we thought he was going to, it would have swept us off the side of the mountain to our death. And as he was coming, I thought to myself, I'm about to die. The last time was 24 years ago when I was in the Calgary Tower and we were having a meal up there and the fire alarm went off. And we had to descend all of those stairs and it's a lot of stairs. It took more than half an hour at full speed going down those stairs. And about three quarters of the way down, I was fully convinced that I could smell smoke. And I thought to myself, the smoke and the fire is coming up to meet us. We're dead. We're going to die. And to be honest with you, I wasn't scared, but I was sad because I thought to myself, there's no cell coverage in here and I won't be able to call Debbie and say goodbye. I thought I was going to die. Are you afraid to die? You know, recent studies, I've looked at some recent studies, and all of the studies said this, that one out of every one person dies. We all die. Scripture, in fact, says we come from dust, and we will return to dust. Let me read that Hebrews chapter 9 verse again, but also a second verse as well. And listen to the hope in the second verse, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying for you, dying for me, at the very same time, being executed on either side of him were two criminals, both of whom were guilty. Jesus was not guilty, but they were both guilty. Both of them needed forgiveness. 
One of the two recognized their need for and called on Jesus to forgive him and to give him grace. And Jesus said to him, yes. He, the, the, the criminal said to him, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, absolutely. And so it was not because of anything that the man did to receive salvation and to receive grace, but it was based completely on Jesus dying on the cross for him. And Jesus said to him, when you die later today, you will be with me in paradise. The other guy never reached out to Jesus at all. And so when we die, we all go to one of two places. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 1 that upon our death, God will judge or reward and that there's two different judgments. The first one is what is commonly called the great white throne judgment. And it was revealed to the apostle John, Jesus' best friend, via a vision that came to him from the Holy Spirit. And in the vision, we're told for people who have refused the gift that God offers to everyone, that gift that he wants everyone to receive. But people must choose personally, and no one can make the choice for you. People must choose personally to either accept or reject the free gift that God offers. And so he talks about this in Revelation chapter 20. John writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now listen to this. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a scary thing. We're going to talk next week about the lake of fire. But for today, what is this book of life? You know, in several of the verses I've read to you today, we see Jesus, the Son of God, pictured as coming. And he comes and he lives among us. And the Bible tells us that he was born without sin. And that he becomes the sacrificial lamb of God. The one who died in our place. He died as an atoning act on your behalf. As a substitute for what you and I deserve. Because of your sin and my sin. Jesus died in my place. He died in your place. And when we come to Jesus, just like the criminal did who died on the cross beside him, when we humble ourselves, when we admit our guilt as the criminal did, when we admit the fact that we're hopelessly lost and separated from holy God, that we need forgiveness for the sinful things we've done. And we recognize that that forgiveness is only found in Jesus. And we ask for God's grace to be applied in our life, not based on anything we've done or not done. And there's no way we can pardon ourselves or earn a relationship with God, but based only and uniquely 
an excuse exclusively based on what Jesus did for us on the cross. We can receive him as Savior. And we can surrender our life at the same time. Our life to the one who's in charge of our life and wants to direct our life and lead us in life and empower us in life and remodel and reshape us. When that happens, when we make that decision to receive him as Savior and the one who is Lord of our life, God's promise is your name will be recorded in the book of life and you will receive eternal life with God. And so when the great white throne judgment comes, if your name is written in the book of life, there's no need to go any further. And so when that day comes, they will open the book and it will say, Scott Dixon saved because of Jesus. And Scott spends eternity with God in heaven. And that can be the case for you too. If, however, as that Revelation passage says, you refuse God's offer of salvation and grace, your next residence will be a place you will not enjoy. And we're going to talk about that more next week. But right now, as I told you earlier, I want to give you an opportunity for your name to be written in the book of life. So let me explain to you what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. So there's no surprises. And I'll get you to follow along in prayer. I'll pray short sentences. And you follow along either out loud or to yourself and God. And in the prayer, you will be admitting the fact, just like I had earlier in my life, that you've done sinful things. That these sinful things and choices have separated you from a holy God that you recognize that you need to be forgiven and that that forgiveness is only found based on what Jesus did for you on the cross in going to the cross and rising from the dead and that there's, there's nothing you can do to pay for your sin and that you're going to trust Jesus alone to be your unique and only savior. So you receive him as savior, but equally as important, you receive him as Lord. And you're going to surrender your life, just like the thief on the cross, surrender your life to him and say, from now on, Jesus, you're in charge of me. You're my Lord, you're my leader, you're my master, and I will be directed as you see fit. And after you pray to receive Christ, I'm going to invite you to go and tell someone what you've done. It helps to confirm what God has already done. And um, if you want to receive Christ now for the first time in your life, something you've never done before, I encourage you to use the chat feature on the side of the screen that you're following, and there will be a little icon that will come up that you'll be able to click on that will indicate that you're receiving Christ for the first time. And then go and tell someone what you've done or send us an email at info at udac.ca, just like you see on the screen beside me, telling us you have received Christ so that you can begin to grow in your new relationship with Jesus that will touch you and affect you every day of your life. So let me pray with you right now as your name is about to be entered into the book of life. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and living among us. Thank you that you came on mission on my behalf. Thank you that you came and you died and rose from the dead. I admit now that I have done sinful things. My choices have separated me from holy God. Thank you for dying in my place. And I ask for forgiveness based on your actions for me. Going to the cross and then rising from the dead. I receive you as my personal savior. I believe it's only through you that I can be saved. At the same time, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to be in charge of my life, to direct my life, to give me, as the text we read earlier says, purpose in life and a goal in life that has eternity stamped upon it. So I receive that salvation now and my name written in the book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Bible says that if you just did that, that there's a cosmic celebration in heaven, that the angels are rejoicing because you received Christ. So tell someone what you've done, indicate it on the chat feature there, and, and send us an email, info at udac.ca. Let me shift gears now to the second judgment, which is referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we read earlier, the judgment seat of Christ. And remember, the context of this passage is Paul is writing to the biblical believers, to the followers of Christ in Corinth. And so he's saying, these are people, it says in verse 5, who have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what is to come. And you will be with the Lord, it says in verse 8. These are people that are already in relationship with Christ, written to believers. And then it says in verse 10, for those of you who are believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ, or the bima, which is the Greek idea or terminology that's here, and the bima is an idea that comes to us from the Greek Olympics, where at the completion of a race, when it's already over, the winners come and they stand before a judge or a tribunal. And the judge or the, tri the, the tribunal gives out rewards to those that have already finished the race. Rewards for first place, or second place, or third place. And so the Bema is not a place to judge if you qualify or if you're going to finish the race. You've already finished the race at this point. No, they are celebrating with you and rewarding you for how you were faithful. And so the judgment seat of Christ is not a place of judgment for your sins. It's not a determination if you're going to heaven or hell. That's already been determined and your name is in the book of life. 
Your sins have been paid for completely by what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you've been saved not by your actions or anything you've done or not done. You've been saved only by the grace of Christ. This judgment here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is for those that are already followers of Christ whose names have been written in the book of life. And once we are saved... We see this clearly in Scripture. Out of that salvation, we are called to serve. We don't serve in order to be saved. It's once we've been saved, now we are called on to serve. And out of our salvation comes grateful service. And that's what's being talked about there in verse 9. He says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And so because... We are new creations in Christ. We serve Jesus in a way that reflects him well. So the judgment seat of Christ is an evaluation. It's a sense of reward when we're in heaven for what we have done subsequent to or after we've come into relationship with Christ. And God understands this and he will evaluate us and reward us accordingly in a way that makes sense to him and is right and fair. And so as followers of Jesus right now, what we do matters for eternity. So what will we be rewarded for and evaluated for? Well, there's a number of things that the scriptures talk about. So let me just mention a few of them. How we have treated people as followers of Jesus, after we've come into relationship with Christ, how have we treated people? Because lost people matter to God. People matter to God. Have we cared for the least of these? In Matthew chapter 25, it says, how have we cared for the broken, the marginalized, the hurting? Because people matter to God. In James chapter 4, we're told that our motives will be evaluated. We will be evaluated about the words that we speak. We are told not to take the Lord's name in vain in the Ten Commandments. Have we How have we endured suffering? We're told that if we are followers of Christ, we can expect to have trouble in this life. Not because we've done silly or sinful things, but simply because we are followers of Jesus. We will have trouble. How have we endured that? Have we taken advantage of the opportunities God gives us to point people to Jesus, to lead people when that opportunity comes into relationship with Christ. Have we shared our faith? That will be evaluated. And so one day we will die and leave this all behind. And we will stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 says we will kneel before him or, or lie right on our face in honor of him, and we will acknowledge him as king of kings and lord of lords. And he will evaluate that which we've done after we came into relationship with him. And if it is warranted, he will say, well done. And he will say, you know, after you gave your life and surrendered your life to me, I saw you pray for lost people. I heard you pray for people to be healed. I saw you living a courageous, godly life in the workplace 
when they laughed at you because you were a follower of me, where you are a person of compassion, a person of honesty, a person of integrity, because you are a follower of Christ, they persecuted you for that. I saw when you gave. I saw when you tithed, which we're all called to do. I saw when you gave sacrificially. I saw when you gave a cup of cold water in my name, Jesus will say. I saw when you didn't take the easy way in life, when you did what was right, and an act of integrity, and it cost you. And you did this because you were my follower. I saw when you shared your faith, even when you were really scared to do it. I saw when you visited people in prison, when you comforted the sick. And Jesus will say, what you did to the least of these, you did unto me. See, what we believe about eternity shapes how we live today. Now, I don't know about you, but to be honest with you, I think I've been especially tempted, and I think, sadly, I think um, I've kind of bought into, during COVID, this whole being too preoccupied with self and too self-focused, and not because of health reasons, but just sort of retreating into this little bubble and sort of using COVID as an excuse. And to forget what really matters for eternity. So I want to leave you with some questions, and I would suggest these questions, these application questions, will spur you forward. And I encourage you to, to sit down with someone you trust and to talk about this and to evaluate this. So here are the questions. If you are afraid to die, why is that? That's an important question to consider. If you are afraid to die, why is that? What does God have to say about that? Secondly, what are some of the things you would love to be known for when you kneel before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ? When he evaluates and rewards what you've done after you came into relationship with him, what are some of the things you would just love to be known for? And finally, just to have the courage and the vulnerability to sit down with someone you trust and discuss this question. What is one change you want to make as you live with eternity in mind? Amen.